Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, for calling in and listening in to the Blog Talk Radio show, Parents Engaging Parents. I'm your host, Altarese Frazier, and tonight our topic of discussion, Parents as Full Partners in Education. I have a panel today of experts, parents, and educators who are on the line. But before I bring them in, I definitely want to speak on the importance of parents as full partners. As families working in the schools and partnering with education for our children, schools must provide us with the opportunities and support that we need to become involved. Too often, schools expect families to do it all in the manner of take care of the kids, you take care of the education. Yet, in 2007, there's an importance that we come together and shape what education will look like for our children. Developing effective partnerships with families, that requires all of us, staff, administration, teachers, and the community to create a school environment that welcomes parents to engage in questions, voice our concerns, as well as participate in the decision-making. Developing partnerships also requires school staff to provide parents with information and training that we will need to become involved and reach our parents with innovation to participate with our children in their learning. Schools that are most successful in engaging parents and other family members in support of their children's learning look beyond traditional definitions of parent engagement. You know, participating in teacher and parent organizations, signing quarterly report cards, coming in for report card visits. These are the traditional fashions of how we engage parents. We have to go broader than that. We have to have a concept of parents as full partners in education for their children. So as well as we are at the classroom with our children, helping our, you know, our teachers and the children, volunteering inside the school, we have to be in an open-minded atmosphere allowing parents to be a part of the decision-making that goes into what's going on in the classroom and also be strong in helping to understand why we're even advocating so strongly for the different things that we need in education in 2017. So with that, I definitely want to bring in our panel today, and I want to thank them for taking the time out we have today with us our parent, Quadria Hill. We also have our educator, Modehi Eugene. And then also today, we want to also we have another panelist and wise individual, Karen Highsmith. I want to thank you all for coming in and joining us today in this conversation. Good evening, all. Hello. Good evening, Mr. Frazier. Good evening. How are you doing, ma'am? I'm well, and you? Thank you. Thank you for calling in. Um, Quadria, if you could just give an introduction to our audience and your participation as a parent and the importance of being a partner in the education from the classroom to the boardroom. So currently I am the chair of the parent partnership at Rod's Academy. Uh, this is my second year. I felt like for me it was important for me to participate because you can't really be involved in the decision-making you don't get involved in what's going on in the school. That's kind of what prompted me to take my stance on just being able to participate, and it's really why I advocate for other parents to participate in such things as well. Thank you. That's definitely important. Um, also on the line, we have Modehi Eugene, an educator in our school system. Good evening, Ms. Eugene. Thank you for calling. Also, we have Karen Highsmith on the phone, also a former 
Head Start Executive Director at one of the leading Head Start programs in the state of New Jersey in the city of North. Good evening, Ms. Highsmith. How are you doing? Okay. Maybe we're having a little technical difficulties on that side. Quadri, I want to ask you a question as a parent. When you when you said you formed, you, you were a part of a parent organization, is there a difference between a parent organization, PTA, PTO? What's the, what's the difference or what's the today's culture of parent associations? Is it still the same model as forming PTAs or PTOs? I guess I would say it's, it's, it's the same but different, if, if that makes sense. Um, I've been a part of traditional PTAs or PTOs in other schools. My children were in um, traditional public schools, so I did participate in those things. For me, just the fact that it's called a parent partnership versus a PTA probably would be, like, the biggest difference. And I feel like on our end, the parents, have more of a say. So, like, they actually value our opinions. We have, like, weekly conversations with the administration as far as things that we want to see going on, things that they have going on, even as much as, like, now they want us to become a part of, like, some of their meetings that they have, staff-wise, so that they can actually get a parent's input on things that they want to see happen and how they feel like it will affect the parents, how it will affect the child. So for me, I think that would be like the biggest difference. Okay. No, that, that's important too because there, there's a shift in, in engagement. I know when I was in school, you know, we did have PTOs and PTAs and parent and teacher associations for those who may not know um, the acronym PTAs. But definitely. So today though, with the, with the stress on our teachers and the, the workload, I, I can see how, you know, being at meetings or, you know, locked in things on a regular basis could be a, a stretch on a lot of our teachers and then definitely on our parents and the current atmosphere that we're going through. Yet the importance of having these engagements is, is, is thorough. I want to take this opportunity as Ms. Highsmith and um, Modehi um, join the line to, to read a passage from our former Secretary of Education, Aaron Duncan. He said this in 2010 at the Mom Congress of Education and Learning. My vision for family engagement, family engagement is anonymous. I want to have two parent depending, I don't, I want to have too many parents depending excellent, on excellent schools. I want all parents to have real partners in education with their children's teachers from the cradle to careers. In their partnerships, students and parents should feel connected and teachers should feel supported. We need parents to speak out, drive change in, in underperforming schools where children receive an inferior education. With parent support, those struggling schools need to be turned around now, not tomorrow, because children get only one chance in education. And, and, that's, and that's where today's topic was so important because today, Parents being full partners has a, has a swing to it. I was at a conference a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, and I heard a young lady say, it's, parents don't want to be engaged in this fighting back and forth, this, this debate on education, ed reform, or magnet schools, or homeschooling, and vouchers. They don't want to be a part of this argument and, and this back and forth debate. They want to send our children to quality schools and our children – receive the quality education that their taxpaying dollars are paying for. 
I had no problem with that into the part of we don't care and don't want. We care and we want. I remember my mom did drop me off in school and did expect me to get the best education possible. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, and it didn't happen in a lot of cases outside of myself. And today, parents are not just dropping their children off and hoping and wishing that they get the education that they deserve. You know, parents are pushing the envelope. They're going into different directions from homeschooling to charter schools to pushing district schools to have more um, magnet schools, you know, what they call schools of, oh, sorry, the word is, yes, exactly, exactly. And, 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 that, and that's important. So the dynamic of the parent engagement in their own way has changed a lot since we were children. And this is, this is important for us to understand why we have to be there at the table because our demand and our understanding has to grow. Our demand for what we want with education has to grow, and our demand on the schools allowing us to be involved in this. And I want to take caller 2049. Once again, caller 2049. You're on the phone. This is Parents Engaging Parents. Thank you for joining us. What is your question? Hello? Oh, caller? Mr. Frazier. Yes, how are you doing? Good evening. I'm good in yourself. Excellent. Excellent. This is Mosey Ahe. I am so happy to be online. Oh, thank you. Thank you for calling in. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Um, so, listen, we jumped right in. Um, I have a parent on the line, Ms. Quadria Hill. Also, could we put our phones on mute um, here a little in the background? But um, definitely, um, Mosey, thank you for calling in, Ms. Eugene. We're, we're talking about parents being full parents in education and understanding the importance of us as parents and schools coming together to see that be included in the school on higher levels than maybe it once was, or maybe some schools are practicing this. And we want to listen in and hear in and talk about the schools who do see parents as full partners, a need and a necessity for a great school. So my question to you, yes, um, ma'am. Yes, my question mm-hmm. to you is, what is your perspective as an educator, as a, a school leader, in regards to parents being full partners in their education of their children? I mean, my philosophy on parents being uh, full parents in the educational system, that is the only way that we get to move the needle for our kids and for our community and what it is that we want to accomplish. I think um, in settings where I've been both in the Bronx and New York, I mean, in the Bronx and in North, I 1,000% the families who are truly, truly bought in into what their kids are doing at school. And in return, they have had teachers who are fully bought in to the kids and the families. That is when we see the most movement happen, not just academically, but you're talking about life changing, where the parent and the teacher know that they've gained something from this family. They've learned something about that particular child or they've learned something new from each other. And so when we start looking at each other as equals, start looking at each other as individuals, then it's no longer this idea of like, you know, here's a school and here's parents on this side. It's literally all of us, all the grown-ups here, working together to accomplish this one goal. Because once we accomplish those goals, like nothing can stop our kids and their destiny. And that is, listen, thank you, Modey. What do you, what do you do for the families who don't have the time to be involved though? 
families who don't have time, um, I definitely empathize with that because for myself as a an aspiring school leader, along with being a parent, I for sure don't get the same opportunity as what I would love to give my own kids. But I would say for the parents who don't have time, even those small little notes of writing a note to the teacher to let them know, like, this is what I noticed in the homework or um, – this is what my child has been saying from home. There's other ways that we can still be connected without having you physically in the building. And so that means, like, do our parents have access to their child's teacher? And currently right now, like, I don't have full access to my own kid's teacher. But yet my teachers at my school, our families have direct access. And so even though I may not be present, or our parents may not be physically uh, present, we know that that's not the end game at all. But I think the communication that happens on the back end or us as schools creating structures and like our our school, we implemented using this um, digital platform for all families to be connected with our, um, with their teachers. So they get to see like pictures about what's happening at school. They get notes from them saying what it is that they're learning this week. So even though I physically cannot go, I do have access. And like that's the main important thing that if our families have access to their kids, teachers, to the school, um, whether you work, whatever hours you work, you can still feel like you're still part of this community movement. Ms. Hill, um, can you chime on that question as a, as a co-chair of your parent organization, what are some of the things that you do for parents who don't have the opportunity to be engaged or involved at your meetings or at the school? Well, we, um, at our school, we utilize the GroupMe app. So anytime there's like an open house, um, registrations, any opportunity that we could use to engage with the families, we try to just let them know, you know, this is when we have our meetings. Um, please give us your information so that we can reach out. You know, because a lot of times, and, and, and because we're dealing with middle schoolers now, a lot of these parents don't really have the time to really come in there and sit at a meeting or come to a workshop or attend this event. But they all are genuinely concerned. So we try to keep them updated through um, GroupMe. We'll reach out via, you know, text messages, email, um, whatever, however we can just so that, Families not feeling like they, they don't know what's going on or they're not engaged. And, you know, sometimes you just got to meet parents where they're at as well. Like if you're standing outside, because I'm, I'm always at the school, that's the opportunity that I take to try to meet some of the parents that I didn't know. Also, you know, you can reach out to the teachers, and sometimes the teachers will tell you those parents who um, aren't able to attend but want to know what's going on. So then you just kind of personalize it a little bit, and maybe you might have to give them a phone call, or maybe I'm going to shoot you a text message to let you know maybe you don't have access to everything that's going on, but you have access to me, and then I can let you know what's going on. Oh, thank you. Listen, parents, call in, give your um, suggestions, some of the things that you've seen done. I definitely want to highlight one thing I did see done a couple of, I believe it was even yesterday, actually, but I'm seeing it happen a lot more. I've seen a, um, a parent organization actually start going live on Facebook with their parent meeting. thought that was innovative as far as being consistent with it and actually opening the platform to allow the parents to have much more of a um, opportunity to see exactly and hear exactly what's going on. So definitely, um, I want to make sure to see if um, Ms. Highsmith was able to get online. Ms. Highsmith, are you here? Okay. So maybe she wasn't able to get online yet. Just keep just continuing with the conversation on parents being full partners in our schools and our uh, 
uh, children's education. Drea um, and Modehi, um, could we talk a little bit about the, the role of a parent as an advocate in education? And what does that look like from an um, educator's um, perspective and from a parent's perspective? And when, I'm talking, when I say advocate, I'm mean advocating in education, the space, not just specifically for, you know, special needs, but just period in general. We just got local control back in one of the cities um, in New Jersey, North, New Jersey cities on their way to getting it. So parents have been advocating for education and change in their cities. What does that look like on your, on your, on your thinking, um, Ms. Hill, in regards to parents' side of advocacy and what that looks like to them? I mean, I guess I would have to say for parents, as a parent, I'm my child's first advocate regardless, no matter what. So being involved is the best way to be able to advocate because you can't walk into a school or walk into anywhere and try to sway a decision or understand why decisions are being made or why things are happening if you're not involved. I think for me that's probably, like, the biggest thing. I try to tell all parents, especially when you have – different issues going on in the schools, outside of the schools. Um, maybe you have kids at different campuses and things of that nature. You got to just kind of be your child's first advocate. Like if my daughter or my son come home and they have an issue and they've attempted to work through it, then that's where you have to kind of step in, um, address it head on, and, and go from there. Okay. Modei, do you have a, also a perspective on that side? Coming from the educator side of it, and having parents be more engaged in parent advocacy for the school and for the space that their children go to go to. I mean, I think from my perspective, um, I don't know. Not all. There's a there's a huge number of families that um, who are very clear with what Miss Hill just talked about. This idea of I am very much my first child's advocate, and they take that and they run with that from like the smallest little things to um, small little things about, like, things that are happening in school or asking questions about, like, what is it they study in school, I mean, in the classes, to, like, the bigger items when you talk about, um, Mr. Frazier, when you talk about, like, fighting for space or, like, the political climate of, like, what is it that we're providing for our kids? And so I would say, like, we have a good number of those. But I do think there's still this piece of our families not really owning how much power they really have in And so if our parents wanted to see um, a particular, let's say, a science um, program um, given to our kids, if we had all 500 of our families advocate for that and say, like, listen, we know what's happening um, in the world in the 21st century. Like, if our kids are going to school in 2027, that means I need them to have access to science or um, the STEM program. So we will have pressure on ourselves to say, like, okay, wait, our families are asking for this. We need to, like, navigate and be able to give that to them. So I would say uh, the biggest thing for me on the educational side is our parents not knowing how much power they have and be able to empower that so that they can really affect change. Um, From a parent side, I do think um, it is a little bit intimidating to feel like I can go to a school and give them feedback and let them know, like, these are the areas you guys are doing really well in, but these are areas that I'm not. And so, like, I would say, like, from an educator side, consistently always trying to make the space available for our families to know that your voice, we want to hear your voice. And so sometimes our families just want to know that the invitation is open 
um, for us to hear what is it that you have concerns about, what are the things that you want to see in our school. And so a lot of times for us, we give our parents, like, these are all the things that we're doing. We're doing this. We're doing family meeting on Wednesday. We have this event coming up. And I think sometimes our families just want to have an invitation for us to say, what is it you want to see in your school? Because like, I, like we've always said in our building, it's not my school, it's our school. And so I think that message, continue to send that message to our families, knowing that bottom line, their voice is very much necessary in this process. No, that, I agree. I definitely agree with that. I'm going to, um, Ms. Highsmith is on the line now. Ms. Highsmith, are we here? Yes, I'm here. How you doing, ma'am? Thank you for calling in to the Parents Engaging Parent um, Block Talk radio show. We want to welcome you. Um, had a little tef- def- difficulties earlier when we'd be trying to get you on. I'm definitely glad you're on, Ma. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to participate. Give, oh, thank you. If you could give the audience just a little brief understand background on your, your level of engagement in education and working with parents in the communities of, of our cities. Um, I believe you worked at Head Start in Newark, New Jersey. If we could just touch on parent yeah. engagement and how full partners, uh, parents being full partner is so important as you give an introduction of the work that you've done with parents in our communities. So I, I, I recently, not too long ago, was the director of one of the Head Start programs in Newark. And one of the caveats for Head Start and parent engagement as as full partners is that the parents are part of the governing body. And and so they help the organization establish policy, they're involved in the hiring, they're involved in the curriculum, they're involved in every aspect of how the decisions on what gets done and how it gets done um, in the Head Start environment. So I think that they're involved in the budgeting um, process. They understand how the, what, what the money is, how it's being allocated. Um, they know the salaries of the individuals that are working for the program. They wow. hire. Um, they do a lot of the hiring. So Head Start's model says that there is a three-leg table for governing the Head Start program. So it's Head Start and the rules of Head Start. It's management and it's parents. And you cannot, you cannot meet all the Head Start criteria if you don't demonstrate through your policies and your procedures and your minutes that your parents are engaged as a full-fledged partner and how the program is operating. Um, The other benefit that I think that the Head Start program offers is it allows parents to not just understand and participate in classes, it actually gives them a voice in legislation. So they have their own policy council. And that policy council has to be familiar with the rules of Head Start in order for them to participate in the decisioning and the operations of the program. And I think one of the things that we need to help our parents with is understanding the legislation 
and understanding operations of school districts for them to fully engage and understand how powerful their voice is on all levels. Um, it's, it's, it's the curriculum, it's the budget, it's the regulations, and, and giving it to them in such a way that it's not overwhelming, but it, you can relate it back to how this benefits them and their children as they go through the education process. Wow, that, that's definitely a big leap from just volunteering in the classroom, um, overseeing governance and, and policies and decision-making, hiring and firing. That's important. And so we're talking about that on a scale uh, at Head Start, yet we know that traditional uh, public schools, you know, charter schools, some private schools, they may not necessarily have that locked into their policy. Do you feel as though that's something that should be, could be, or maybe, you know, that might be too much for a parent to be engaged in in that so level? I, so I, I, so I think when you get into larger, larger school environments where, you know, you have different, um, different makeups of the school and, and, and the rules and the regulations, I think it may not be able to do it at the same level, but I do think that there needs to be a method and an approach that gives them access to information to understand what's going on, especially when you have um, public, public or, or public office that's attached to some of the decisioning bodies that, that happen in making decisions on how the schools operate. So I think there needs to be maybe not a sit at the table, but definitely a way to disseminate information um, and maybe make it part of the parent um, parent um, organization that kind of helps them disseminate information, understand information, and then engage in how the school um, and the policies of the school or the district um, and the school boards are, are done. I think it would help in making the conversations and the interactions between those bodies and the parents a lot healthier. Okay, thank you. I got a call I want to take in. Call at 1293. Um, you're on Block Talk Radio Show, Parents Engaging Parents. Thank you for calling in. Do you have a question? Hello, caller. I'm, I'm just taking it in right now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'll, I'll, oh, okay. You know, so I, I, thank you. Okay, thank you. No, definitely. And I'm glad parents are calling in, listening in, because at the end of the day, you know, take, this is the part of education and the part of engagement that we also need is when we take the time to just, you know, just sit back and listen to hear some of the ideas. Um, I have a question I want to ask, and anyone feel free to um, jump in. Is there a time parents should not be involved or engaged in the, in the, in, in the education Excuse me, in, in, in the governance or the, the design and character of the school that their children attend? Well, I, if you don't, well, I think that there are areas of management that are very sensitive, that they are sensitive and confidential 
things that happen in the administration and the management of any organizations, including schools and and um, charters and, and Head Start programs that are so so confidential in nature that you can't share everything. Now, does that mean that you can't make them aware of issues at a a global level? Um, you know, depending on how sensitive the issue or the matter may be, I think transparent. There's a way to disseminate transparency without violating confidentiality. Um, but there are areas and times when you you can't because of the nature of the situation you may be facing. Okay, um, Modi, could you chime in on that question? Sure thing. Um, I definitely agree that there are some um, areas where definite confidentiality um, needs to be um, at the forefront. I mean, I would say the hardest piece sometimes uh, would be areas where all kids deserve a seat at the table in the schools. All families deserve to be able to share their opinions um, about schools. However, um, in the case where I, I guess sometimes like if I think about my, if I put on my dean role when working with like behaviors and things like that, I think sometimes it's easy to say these types of kids shouldn't be in this school or these type of behaviors shouldn't be allowed. Where some things happen and like as a school we have to serve all kids. And so that means not everyone's going to be a perfect little angel. And so sometimes as a parent it's hard to see that for the other child. Right. And so I would say, like, in some of those moments, it's hard to um, share all the pieces there because, again, to the same similar point earlier spoken to about confidentiality. Um, however, I think the majority of times, families definitely need to be able to say, I have an opinion about X. Now, whether you receive it or don't receive it, that's another thing. But I think if we are working as, um, serving of the community, of truth being able to change that, then we do want to hear what our families and community members um, have to say. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, Ms. Hill, because um, also from a perspective as a chair, a co-chair of your parent organization, do you feel that there's a time um, where parents should not be um, involved or engaged on um, the education the children on a governing design or characteristic of a school level? I agree with both standpoints. So, you know, obviously when there is a confidentiality issue, then obviously, you know, parents, we can't be involved to that extent. But piggybacking off of what was said, as far as, you know, on a broader spectrum, allowing parents to really, you know, get involved and know what's going on, and it is hard as a parent to understand when there's an issue where you have a situation going on with another child because your first instinct as a parent is, you know, your child is wrong. or something happened to your child. So obviously the, the child that did it, you, you're not really trying to hear what the situation is or even wait around to hear, like, the backstory of why this happened. And I can just speak on first-hand knowledge because I had a similar situation with my child at, at, at school. Um, and my first instinct was, I don't want to hear what's going on with this child. I don't, I don't want to hear it. Like, I need you to address it right this second. And then taking a step back, it kind of, you know, you kind of really have to allow the administration to work through it. 
because as a just a regular parent coming in, you don't really know the policies and the procedures. And most parents don't even take the time to really understand that aspect of, you know, how things work because, you know, these charter schools, they, they do believe in every child should be afforded the same opportunities. Um, and they don't really give up on kids. There is no, you know, expelling and things of that nature. So as a parent, it's hard to take a step back and allow them to do what it is they deem necessary to do. But at the same time, you have to understand that they do have their own policies, procedures, protocol that they have to adhere to as well. Thank you. This this question, this next question, I want to start with um, Modehi and then Ms. Highsmith and then and then, and then um, Ms. Hill. But before I go there, can we put our phones on mute if we're not speaking? I can hear the um, background. So my question is, can you help explain to me as a parent, what is Title I? And what what is that concept? I've heard it a lot, Title I. I've heard it has something to do with parents' involvement. But can you give me a little more understanding from your perspective what Title I is? Hello? Sorry, I had some. So from okay. my understanding, when we use the the language of Title One or like if we're a Title One school, um, to me the way we've always used it, and my understanding of it has always been around the idea of um, the number percentage of kids that you have that go to your school that qualify for either free or reduced lunches. Um, so as a t- Title One school, um, that allows. I, I think that that's the only way that I've always referenced. Title One, um, but that's the only way that I've only used it. Ever if I think about like a Title One school, and I probably should know more about this um, that I'm answering. But that's the only way that I've used of had an understanding of Title One. And then listen, Miss Paris, engaging parents. We parents want to know what, 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 what they what these things that we've been hearing for over the years. We you know we we asking these questions. So I thank you for your definitely for your understanding. And to your point, you know, we, we all want to gain as much more information as possible. This is why um, these questions are important for us to go back and make sure that we're equipped with the knowledge to um, dispose the power of change that we're going to have in our community. Exactly. Ms. Highsmith, is this, I'm sorry, go ahead. You want to say something more? Okay. Um, Ms. Highsmith, could you um, chime in a little bit on your perspective of what Title I means when we hear this in our communities? So, so... There's so most so there's always in federal legislation and and then state accompanying legislation um, the the recognition of titles and what we have a tendency to do is we you know there's a popular piece of the title that the title becomes known for. But there are all kinds of caveats and subsections and 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 other comments or other um, characteristics about the title that align to the popular view of it. So it it does have a big part of the allocation of funding and services to a particular population of people. But there's also subsections of it that talk to how that money has to get there's a reporting section that says how that information has to be gathered and reported back to the state and then what the state has to do to report to the federal government and then how the money flows from the federal government to the state 
and then the state legislation on how it disseminates it to the re- to the district. So there are always these under other parts of a title that um, have an important p- role in how the title gets executed and administered. But most titles and and big pieces of legislation are known for the popular the popular items. Um, so there's legis- this new education legislation that um, ESA that came out has titles in it that embody, you know, Title One, but there are also parts of it that talk about, you know, school um, preschool development funding and all sorts of things. And I think what we have to do is we have to ask our state um, offices, you know, how they're going to or what how they're going to use that part of the legislation and then how it gets uh, farmed out across the districts. And then because each district is administered slightly differently, how the district is going to use it. And a lot of the federal legislation has state flexibility in it. So the federal legislation may have a laundry list of things that the title will allow them to do, but then the state, through its legislation and its policies, may have an opportunity to pick and choose from the menu, and then the districts get that and administer it based on their interpretation or their their constituent base of how they apply it. So, I mean, there's a lot to it, and it's, it's a lot to swallow and understand um, at one time, but I think, you know, again, if there were a way through newsletters or some other means to, you know, do it in bite-sized pieces so families and the community at large could understand how they're regulated and how they're administered, I think it would help with the healthy parent advocacy discussions that are going on. No, definitely. That... That definitely is more than what I was known to understand about Title I. And thank you for that because these it's things like this that has shown me why it's important to have this type of platform because we're learning and we're seeing so many different understandings about education. And to grasp it all is complicated. Yet if the school is not engaging us in a level where they want us to be well-equipped with this information and well-versed in it, it becomes that much harder to speak on behalf of what we want, what we would like or what we are interested in because we truly don't have the layman term of what these titles, what these uh, policies are. And I'm really interested in parents, you know, getting together and bringing up the right questions. I was at a platform yesterday, parent organization put together, and the questions they were asking the school leaders were dynamic because they were asking questions that truly affected their children, and they had no problem regardless of what the title of that individual was. School leaders, executive directors, they didn't care. They asked you straight and informative questions to get to the point of what they wanted. And I was blessed that I was able to see that happen because I know that can happen throughout our whole state. Parents coming together with leaders 
and they having dialogue on exactly how we do. I mean, we were talking about real estate. We were talking about loans and leases, and like we were breaking it down a square foot of the classrooms and the building. It was going depth into why we can't buy another building or why we can't, you know, lease another. Like it was an opportunity for the school leaders to give parents the knowledge so they can be well-equipped to move throughout the community. And the questions and the concerns that they had. Quadria, um, Ms. Hill, from, from a parent's perspective, when, you, when like I asked the question, uh, what is a Title I? How do you feel about certain information and knowledge that parents don't necessarily have, but we hear about in the community, yet we, we don't find the opportunity within our schools to be trained workshops, different, you know, avenues where we're able to get deep information from our schools. How do you feel from a parent's perspective about that? Or do you do do you get that from your school? I think we get some stuff from the school. Well, I say we get everything from the school? Absolutely not. I feel like the school should. They should give, maybe have a, a quarterly meeting or some platform that they are affording these parents to be able to come in here and get the information because there's so many different conversations being had about different things, and most parents don't know. Like, if you're not really in the space, you don't really know about what's going on, and it's really nobody's fault. You know, it's it just, I guess it's the circles people run in sometimes. But I absolutely think that the schools should afford more information to, to the parents. There, there should be more things explained. Um, because sometimes there are certain titles, like when you just brought up Title One, I'm like, I don't even know what that. I know financial aid, and that's how I relate Title One. So when she just broke it down, I was like, I didn't even know that it went that deep. So I feel like the school should absolutely afford these parents um, the opportunity to to get that information and get the explanations and the definitions, so that everybody could be on the same page. Thank you. Modey, let me ask you a question. How can we implement parent gatherings in our um in our schools similar to what um Ms. Hill just said? How can we improve parent gatherings and um and getting information in our schools? Hey Fraser, can you repeat that question one more time Elijah? Yeah, no, 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 no problem. How can we improve parents getting the information in our schools? Ms. Hill spoke about, you know, our, um, the schools having quarterly meetings to give parents updates on the things that's going on in the school that we might not know about, different things that's coming up. How do you feel in regards to that and having parents be well equipped with the information from, from their schools? Definitely. Um, I know currently at our um, location we do have quarterly meetings where um, the specific purpose of that is to hear from families. So we want to hear what the good things are happening in the schools from the family's perspective, but then it's also an opportunity for them to not only give us pushes, so um, whether it's about dismissal, whether it's about um, what are the kids learning, how are we teaching to our kids, what extra resources are we giving um, to our kids. So we already have something that's implemented like that that happens on a quarterly basis. And my, um, my thought around that, even listening to Ms. Hill, as she talks about, like, she doesn't get all the information. It just pushes me as a um, person who's in the school already thinking through, like, oh, my gosh, okay, what, in, within those structures that we already have, 
how else can we really take up that knowledge um, that we give to families? So not just going, going beyond just the updates, right? So, like, our next one is happening on 1026, where our families will be coming to us and having that space. But how else am I informing them about what's coming down the pipeline? Whether I'm talking about either assessments, whether I'm talking about, like, the map testing, that is something like with a test that's normed all across the United States, and, like, where are kids performing there? Um, or even giving resources to our families around, like, talking about Title One. What does that actually mean for you? Or when you talk about the idea of workshop, um, how am I using that structure that's already there to take it up to another level? So therefore, parents know it's not just information that's just being downloaded to us or them giving us just feedback once, um, but really using that structure already to provide our families with even more tools. So um, I definitely am uh, a supporter of that. I've already created structures where um, we can do some of that work already. So instead of trying to create another time or another meeting, we already have something in place. How can we use that to make it from good to great um, and really make it more purposeful for our families? Okay, thank you. Before I take my next call, I want I want Ms. Ms. Hosmer, if you can pose this question out also. And you worked with a Head Start organization that was, at the time, I believe, the largest Head Start organization in the state. How were you able to go from top down to making sure parents had information that was um, needed, as you said, with Head Start? They had that as information. They had to be a part of it. How were you able to trickle it down in um, some creative ways from, did you have parent liaisons? Did you have, you know, parent committees at each location? Like, what are some of the dynamics that you were able to put together in your, in your organization to see parents receive it? and getting the information they need. Hello? Oh, you back? <laughs> did you did yeah, you hear the question? I have my phone mute. I have my phone muted. I'm sorry. Um so one of one of the cornerstones in Head Start um was the fact that, you know, we we had parent um councils at each school. And within that there were mandatory um committees. So there was a mandatory health committee, um, and then there was a mandatory policy committee, and parents volunteered for these committees. And so the staff who had the primary responsibility for health information, um, we would bring in guest speakers, we would put newsletters together, um, we would get with other, we would network with the community to bring resources to the school, like um, not only just for the children, but for the parents as well. And, and so I think that we chose multiple vehicles to provide a lot of information to parents. And, I, it, you know, not all parents wanted to engage in that way, um, but we did use our parent network to reach out and engage other parents in the school. Um, and we would have functions for them. Um, so we, we did whatever we thought was viable and engaging and interesting to try to keep our parents aware of what was going on in the schools and what the regs were going to say and, you know, how important health and wellness was. And so it, I think it, it depends on the school and the population and the parents um, 
on how they can come up with creative methods to, you know, keep their parents engaged and informed. But ours were the 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 thing about Head Start, and I'll move on unless someone else figures that we were fortunate, I think, because a lot of the things that we did were regulated. So we there was no no getting around it. If you wanted the Head Start money, you had to make sure you had a very viable and robust parent engagement model or you could get sanctioned or lose some of your money. So I think that, you know, that's, that was a, a critical piece to institutionalizing parent engagement and making sure that it was always evolving. Okay, now that's definitely important. I want to take a last caller, and, and before we take the caller, and after his question, we're going to wrap up. We're down to the last Seven ten minutes it was a, the show is flying, so I want to call it one two nine three. Yes. Hello, caller. Welcome Good to evening, the Parent Engaging Parent um, Talk Box Talk Talk Show. Um, thank you for calling in. You have a question? Yes. Good evening, everyone. Um, you know, this question Good is evening. for you know um, who whoever you know may feel the need to answer the question. Um, I hear what you guys are saying as far as um, Title I and Head Start. <clears throat> Why do you think as um, our children get older and move on to the following grade that the parent engagement and parent involvement becomes, it starts to dwindle down? Um, I mean, you know, it, it, as you said, it with Head Start, you know, it's, it's regulations and it start off pretty, you know, uh, full strength. And then as, you know, you move up in grades, from middle school to high school, we start to dwindle down and we lose um, the bulk of our parent involvement and parent engagement. And how can we, you know, continue the efforts from Head Start all the way through high school? Great question, great question. If we could start from um, Ms. Highsmith to Modehi down to our parent, Ms. Um, Hill, I would love for that brother to get that answer. So I, I think that, you know, you have to change the engagement model as the child ages, because what works for preschoolers and parents who are engaged and want to understand what's happening with a preschooler may not be the same effective model for someone in fifth grade. So I think that, you know, you have to, the school, the parents, and and the legislators have to understand what funding streams and what things can we do to engage parents of older children. And a lot of it could be around activities. Um, It could be around clubs, you know, that are educational, debate clubs, or anything that would allow the parent to acknowledge how well the child is doing and also use that venue as a way to disseminate information to the parent and then try to hook them in into an ongoing engagement model. Thank you. Modei? Definitely agree with the idea of changing it and keeping it fresh. From the elementary sector um, where I currently am, I would say um, typically we'll find the most engagement or the highest attendance from our lower grades, from K and 1. 
But once we begin having the second and third and fourth graders, even even in the elementary world, I would say um, the feedback that we typically get from our families, like, oh, I've already been through this already. I already know what you're going to tell me. This is, like, the same thing. I've been here for, like, three years already, so you don't have to tell me anything new. So I 100% agree with the idea that we, as a school, need to adjust and ways to keep it fresh for families. So, therefore, um, when you talk about, like, you were here in kindergarten, and now you're coming into fourth grade, it should not be the same um, the same plan or the same blueprint that we used way back when. And so I definitely agree with the idea of continuing to change um, to change that. But I will also urge that um, that we continue to um, be connected. Because to me, the thing that absolutely moves the needle is relationships. And so when we have really strong and we have strong relationships and we are connected to our families, those relationships will help us continue to bring our families in the door. And so just like that, both and us, keeping it fresh, but also continue to bring strong, build strong, trusting relationships with our families. Wow, thank you so much. Till we have three minutes left. If you could take two of those minutes so I can have the last minute, I appreciate it. If we can answer this gentleman's question in regards to why it dwindles off as parents move up. And I believe you have children in three different sections of education, so I think you're interesting to answer this question. Absolutely. Um, I, I just feel like, again, agreeing with both ladies, um, you got to kind of change the model. Um, because I have kids in middle school and high school, um, I'm always engaged, but that's not all parents. The relationships, like Modehi said, that you form with the staff, with the teachers, is what I think constantly pulls you in. And and where I'm at, the, the teachers and the staff do a really good job of always engaging the parents. So I think that's what kind of keeps the parents engaged with them and keep them coming back and wanting to know what's going on with their kids. And the same applies to, like, my, my, my kids in high school. Um, I have really good relationships with the teachers, so it's easy to always just kind of stay engaged. And I think that's just kind of where you gotta you got to kind of keep the parents engaged on that end. Wow, thank you. Listen, I am so sorry, guys. We, this show flew by. We got one minute left. I want to thank all my guests that came through. I want to thank the callers that um, also came through, some of the parents that texted, um, excuse me, emailed me questions. And I definitely want to continue to thank the parents for listening. Once again, this is Parents Engage Your Parents talk, um, broadcast talk show. We want to thank everybody for coming, um, tuning in. Look forward to seeing you guys in two weeks. Thank you so much, everybody, for calling in, and definitely have a great night. Thank you. Thank you.